go through the Word of God. We've been through Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. Now it's time for Daniel. We actually took a little break in between Ezekiel and Daniel to teach the oneness of God as directed by the Lord. So now we're back into the prophet uh, Daniel. Say, Amen, Daniel. Hallelujah. Looking forward to seeing what Daniel has to say. Please keep me in your prayers, okay? Yeah, for my health. Ask God to touch your pastor's body, heal him from head to, head to toe, inside, outside, everything. Not going to get into details. Just going to trust God for good reports in the future, okay? Just, but I'm believing that you can pray and that when you pray, that the next time I go and get another report, it's going to be different. And I'm not going to get into details, but I do need your prayers right now. Okay? Praise the Lord for my healing, for my health. I'm trusting God. God is able. <clears throat> Hallelujah. So thank you in advance for praying for me. Believe the Lord. Didn't have any. Now, if you think it's the thyroid, I got my thyroid fixed. <laughs> you got, got my thyroid fixed, and now it's something else. Something else is a little bit scarier than the thyroid, okay? So uh, don't, don't just pray. pray that my thyroid's healed because y'all have already taken care of that. <laughs> but uh, amen. Just, just pray for me in general, please, okay? Hallelujah. All right, in the book of Daniel tonight, in uh, chapter 1, beginning with verse 1, it says this, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem, and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar, which is Babylon, to the house of his God, and he brought the vessels into the treasure house of his God. Verse 3, And the king spake unto Ashpenaz, the master of the eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel, and of the king's seed, and of the prince's children, in whom was no blemish, but well-favored, and skillful in all wisdom, and cunning in knowledge and understanding science, and such has had ability in them to stand in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat and of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years, that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. Now among these were the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Hallelujah. Unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names, for he gave unto Daniel the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, Mish, and to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, a bad Negro. I mean, I'm sorry. Abednego. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. Everybody say Abednego. Okay. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I mean, we got some of those in here, you know. But, so, anyway, praise the Lord. Father, we ask you right now your blessing to be upon the reading of your holy word. We give you all the praise and the glory and the honor in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated in the name of the Lord. The book of Daniel is a book, it is an apocalyptic book. It's very similar to the book of Revelation in the New Testament as far as the style of prophecy. It is apocalyptic. 
and I'll explain to you apocalyptic prophecy. There is a little bit of a difference between just prophecy and apocalyptic prophecy. Um, and I believe right now where we are in history that it is an apocalyptic prophetic event. And I'll explain to you what I mean by that. But the book of Daniel and the book of Revelation basically are apocalyptic writings in their prophetic uh, utterances. Now, the book of Daniel, the Bible gives us the time of the captivity in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah. That, when you translate that into on the calendar, that puts you around 603 to 605 B.C. as to when Nebuchadnezzar went into Judah and took Judah captive. Okay, that would be the southern kingdom. Uh, now, there were three deportations, but this is the first deportation here, and Daniel and his friends were a part of that first deportation, 603 to 605 uh, B.C. Are y'all with me here? And so Nebuchadnezzar, the background of the book of Daniel is that Nebuchadnezzar has gone into Judah and has taken them captive. He has uh, brought under his power a king by the name of Jehoiakim, the third year of Jehoiakim's reign. That's how you determine the time on the calendar. The third year of Jehoiakim's reign equals or translates to 605 B.C. Okay? So Jehoiakim comes under his power, the power of, of King Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, and there are some others that are with him that are of royal blood, royal descent, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. You may know them more by the names that were given to them but from Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Okay? Uh, but it's Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his three friends, and then Daniel. They play a very major role uh, in the book of Daniel as a whole. <clears throat> and they were taken, royal blood, uh, the house of Judah. These young men were taken into the court of Nebuchadnezzar because of their wisdom. They had great wisdom and understanding and insight. And they were picked, hand-chosen, by the courtiers of Nebuchadnezzar's palace to actually come before King Nebuchadnezzar and to begin to be pr uh, prepared. And they would try to change these youth, try to change their culture. The enemy always tries to change the culture of the church and turn it into a worldly thing or a more worldly approach. And so we have to always, as the people of God, understand that the king of Babylon, Lucifer, always wants to capture you and then change your identity or your culture remove the holiness out of your life and change your identity. And so that's exactly what happened. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar takes these very wise young men of God, very godly young men, has royal blood flowing in their veins. He brings them into the court and he changes their names and he gives them uh, names of pagan deities in Babylon. The thing about these young men is you could change their name but you could not change their walk. You could bring them into a totally different environment, a totally different culture, but their faith remained intact. It did not matter where they were located. It did not matter where they were relocated. Just because they were in Babylon, the land of false gods, it did not change them. They changed their names and gave them the, the names of false gods. And that didn't change them. 
they continued to remain faithful to God and not allow their spiritual values and their walk with God to be changed even though the culture was trying to squeeze them into its mold so that they would be like the world. And so that was the goal. But the Bible tells us that these young men with Daniel were very faithful to God. And uh, so they're brought in before the court. And we'll get into a little bit of this in just a moment. Now, uh, trying to change them, trying to force their values out and so on and so forth. And will they give in? Will they allow that to happen or will they remain faithful to God? Of course, we know the story is they did. They stayed faithful to God no matter what the culture, no matter what the pressure, no matter what the name changes were. You could not change who they were in God. Hallelujah. Say praise the Lord. Now, just practical applications, pretty, pretty easy. There's some people you can take them and you can put them anywhere. You can relocate them. You can put them anywhere in the world and you're not going to change them. They're going to stay the same and faithful and true to God. It doesn't matter if it's Odessa, Texas. It doesn't matter where they are. They're always going to be the same kind of person. It's not the environment that's going to make them. They're going to make their environment. Hallelujah. And that's the kind of Christians we want to be. We want to be Christians that set the environment, not the environment set us. Hallelujah. I want to be a thermostat, not a thermometer. A thermometer only indicates the temperature around it. A thermostat sets the temperature. And these young men, you could take them and put them in that environment, environment, but they were not a thermometer, they were a thermostat. So they're the ones that set the temperature in the environment they, they were in. Hallelujah. How many men and women of God tonight that are like that? That you refuse to let the culture, this present culture, squeeze you into its mold so that you are what that is. No, you should set the temperature. You should be the thermostat in the culture that determines what is happening around you, not let what's happening around you influence you. Give God praise and glory and honor. Hallelujah. And that is the marking quality of Daniel, Hananiah, and Mishael, and Azariah. Faithful to God, on fire for God, wherever you put them. Even if you capture them and you take them into captivity, they're still true to the living God. Hallelujah. And so the Bible tells us this is what happened. They get a portion of meat from the king and obviously that that meat is not kosher. It would have been something that the Babylonian king would have given the Jews at that time to eat, but because it did not fit the dietary law, Maybe it wasn't prepared correctly. Maybe it was the wrong animal. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah said, we're not going to do it. We're not going to eat the meat that comes from the king's table. We're not going to feed on what the king of Babylon wants us to feed on. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. And so they petitioned. Amen. They petitioned the master of the eunuchs to not eat the feet, the food of Babylonian confusion not to eat the meat off the king's table. And the uh, master of the eunuchs agreed to that. And the Bible says when they tested them and they looked at them, they were more fat and flesh. Hallelujah. They were healthier than everybody else because they were faithful to God. They never gave up their convictions. They never surrendered their convictions. They were faithful to God no matter where you found them. Hallelujah. Now, you got to understand though, the pressure was on. 
And a lot of the Judean young people gave in to the culture. But not those, not those four. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. That's the why they're in the book of Daniel. That's why they're recorded. That's why their names are recorded. Because they stood out head and shoulders above the rest of the youth in their culture. The rest of the youth might compromise, but not Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. They were faithful to God at all times. Daniel is the author of the book. So I'm already starting to preach, but let me just teach it to you. All right, let's go over into... Daniel chapter 7 and verse 11. Sometimes establishing the authorship of the, of the writing is difficult. Um, uh, Daniel 7 1. Okay, let's look at it. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions of his bed upon his, visions of his head upon his bed. Then he wrote the dream and told the sum of the matters. So when we see that term right there, he wrote the dream, when you're trying to determine who wrote the book of Daniel, we know that he at least wrote the dream, but he probably wrote the whole book. Because as you read through the book of Daniel, you're going to see not only is that statement made that he had the vision, had the dream, and then he wrote it down, but you're going to see at times where it's, he's talking in the first person. Okay, so the book is in the first person. That means he's the one that's talking. It's Daniel that's talking. In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus calls Daniel a prophet of the Lord. Now, uh, talking about the image of the beast that will be set up in the Holy of Holies, uh, Jesus said, as spoken by Daniel the prophet. So Daniel was a prophet. If you had a Jewish Bible today, Daniel would not be put in the prophetic section. I don't know why. They would not classify him as a prophet. But Jesus classified Daniel as a prophet. So, book uh, and what Jesus said basically gives us an understanding as who the author is. Now, when we look at the book of Daniel, I'm just giving you an overview. We're going to fly over it, sort of fly over the book 30,000 feet. Maybe then we'll come back and give you some details. When you look at the book, the focus of the book of Daniel, as I said, is apocalyptic prophecy. Okay? When you look at the book of Daniel, it's dealing with kings and kingdoms. And the focus is an idea kingdom. An I, God's idea kingdom. Okay? The kingdom that God has His idea of. And that is that He is going to come back smite the image at the feet and set up a kingdom upon the earth and he will rule God through Jesus Christ will rule on the earth. Okay, you with me understand? That's God's idea kingdom. It's his king ruling the world, ruling the kingdom, coming and changing the world completely. Alright? So you're going to see then in the book of Daniel, you're going to see kings and kingdoms and then God's idea kingdom being set up. That's all apocalyptic. And I'll explain that to you just a minute. What I mean by that. Apocalyptic. Alright? Uh, <clears throat> so, when we study the book of Daniel, you have to keep this in mind. That when Judah is taken capture, basically the throne has been captured. Because Judah, the kings of Judah, are in the line of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ. 
When you take Judah capture and you capture the throne and there's no longer a king sitting on the throne, then Israel would look at that and say, we have no hope of that ever happening. And so what God does is He comes through the prophet Daniel and He talks about these kingdoms and kings and then the setting up of the true king. He gives you a picture in Daniel chapter 2 and Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 2 is this image right here, this very brilliant, beautiful image from man's perspective. Head of gold, chest and arms of silver, abdomen and thighs of brass, two legs of iron flowing into iron mixed with clay. This huge image. And then we have the interpretation, Babylon's the head of gold, so on and so forth. That's Daniel chapter 2. So what we have is God is showing you uh, four stages, four kingdoms that will come. There's this head of gold, this uh, chest and arms of silver. Head of gold is Babylon, chest and arms of silver, Medo-Persia. And then the Greek empire of the, the brass here flowing out of the Greek empire, the Roman empire with the legs, eastern western division of the iron. And then we go into the final form of the Roman Empire uh, in, in the book of Daniel, final form, with the ten toes, so on and so forth. So what you see is one, two, three, four stages, four kingdoms that will come, and then Jesus is going to come back, the idea of kingdom, and set up His kingdom on the earth. Daniel chapter 7, same thing. You have one, two, three, four, and at the time, or after the fourth kingdom and king, which parallels Daniel chapter 2, then you have the coming of the Lord and defeating those beasts and setting up His kingdom. So when you study the book of Daniel, then you just keep this in mind. This is your outline. It's apocalyptic literature. It has to do with kings and kingdoms and then God coming and fulfilling the hope that He is going to set up His kingdom on the earth and change the world. Now, with that in mind, let me define for you apocalyptic literature because it is extremely important to understand this. Apocalyptic prophecy did not come to the nation of Israel until its latter years. Okay, uh, In the early, early years of the nation of Israel, you had prophets that would come and they would give prophetic word, but it wasn't apocalyptic style prophecy. There is a difference in apocalyptic style prophecy and just prophecy as a whole. Uh, Daniel is apocalyptic. Revelation is apocalyptic. And what that means is that something that is secret is revealed. Apocalyptic, apocalypse means revelation. So what you have is you have something that is secret that is going to be revealed. But it's going to be revealed through signs and symbols. Okay, I want everybody's attention. Everybody, even the young men over here, I want your attention. They're going, it's going to be revealed. It's a secret, but it's going to be revealed. Now here's where the apocalyptic type of prophecy comes in. It comes in the form of visions and symbols. Instead of just a prophetic word, God sends an angel or, or some kind of intermediary, intermediary that comes and God speaks through the angel uh, a vision of some kind, symbolic language, 
And sometimes you've got these really strange things in that apocalyptic visions like bizarre animals, okay? Uh, and, and, and all of these, those things that come from God to the angel, and then the angel conveys it to the prophet, and it's coming in vision and symbolic form, all of it is obscure. You don't know what it means unless it is interpreted for you, okay? And so apocalyptic writing then, when you get into the apocalyptic books, you're going to have angels. Man, it's going to be full of angels. And um, an angel being a, a mediator between God or an intermediator between God and the prophet, bringing that revelation that is hidden, that is secret in the heavens. And he comes and brings it in symbolic or visionary form using all kinds of symbolisms like uh, animals and so on and so forth. That is the difference between apocalyptic prophecy and just prophecy as a whole. It has to do with the way it comes. Visions and symbols through an angel or some type of intermediary uh, that God speaks through and uh, to and then it's conveyed to the prophet. Is everybody with me here? Okay, praise the Lord. All right. Now when that uh, vision or that uh, symbol comes from God to the angel or angels and it's conveyed to the prophet. You have to understand this. This is so important. If the Bible gets into detail about the vision, about the symbol, and, and breaks it down for you and explains it to you, then it's okay for you to focus on the vision. Okay? Or to focus on the symbol. But God, when you study the apocalyptic writings, God is arresting your attention with the vision or the symbol. And that is not what you are to focus on. You are not to focus on so much the vision that God has given as you are to focus on what does the vision mean. What, what is God saying? Because if you're not careful, you'll start looking at all of these different bizarre animals and, and this, you know, image in Daniel chapter two and, uh, and trying to look and focus. Look at that head of gold. Look at those chest and arms of silver. Look at the, the abdomen and thighs of brass going into the iron legs and ten toes of iron and clay. And man, you get all caught up in that and you're trying to figure out, well, who is that? And who is that? What does that mean? And you spend all of your time trying to figure out the details of the vision when God most of the time has already told you why He gave you the vision. So that you don't focus on the vision, you focus on the message of the vision. That is so important for you to understand when you study prophecy. Okay, now if God gives you the message, He interprets the vision, that's fine. But oftentimes, for example, in the book of Zechariah, and I'm not in Zechariah tonight, but I'll get to give you an example. God talks about um, some myrtle trees in this first chapter of the book of Zechariah. And he, he, he talks about these horses that are there in the myrtle trees, okay? And then He talks about uh, one like the Son of Man that's standing there among the myrtle trees as well. Well, if you're not careful, and, and it's okay, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm talking about where you put the most focus. 
then you'll try to figure, okay, well, what is the red horse? And what is the bay horse or the gristle horse? And what is the black horse? And you, you spend all of your time trying to figure out what the vision is, what the horses mean, what the colors mean, what the myrtle trees mean. And you miss the, the most important thing. And after God gets through showing the vision to the prophet in apocalyptic form, He then tells you basically why, why He sent the vision. And that was to tell everybody, I still care about Israel. I haven't given up on them yet. I'm still working with them. Now, so as you're trying to dissect what that horse means and what the myrtle trees mean and all of that, God's saying, okay, I gave you the vision just to let you know Here's the message. I still care about Israel. I know they're surrounded by these powers that want to devour them. I know they're in uh, a trial, trying times right now. I know it's difficult, uh, and so on and so forth. On the right hand, the left hand, and in the center, they've been clobbered, you know, from all these powers. But the message is through the prophet. Tell Israel, I'm still, I've got their back. I still care about them. So I'm trying to show you something when you study prophecy, you know, and we, we all get caught up into that, trying to break down that vision and going through the Bible, trying to interpret the horses and everything. And that's fine. But I'm saying what you have to do is you have to focus on what is the message of the vision, not the vision of the message. And that's where a lot of times we get in a lot of confusion because we're trying to figure out who this is and who that is. And, and then, we'll, okay, so we think we have it figured out. And then we change it a year later as the newspaper comes out. And we, we put our newspaper, we have newspaper theology. So whatever's in the, in the, in the newspaper and current history, we try to fit it into the passage. So we have newspaper theology. We're constantly changing prophecy based on what's happening in the world. My point is this, if God doesn't interpret the vision for you, you're going to get in trouble always trying to figure out who this is and who that is and what that. So always understand that when God gives an apocalyptic vision like that, He's bringing a message. you got to know, what are you saying, God? You're trying to speak. What are you saying, God, as you bring this vision? And normally it's a short statement. And that's what you have to declare to the people. Hallelujah. But I mean, it's pretty cool, isn't it? Right? I mean, if you were like Zachariah or Daniel or whatever, and you're having these visions of horses and everything else, or images and wild animals, and man, that's cool stuff, man. You know, yeah. And so we spend so much time on those images and symbolisms that we don't tell the people the message. So when you're studying prophecy, be careful not to be so focused on the vision that you miss the message of the vision. For all of those who care. Alright? And it's so easy to do. It is so easy to do. I mean, sometimes I just rack my brain trying to figure out, well, who is that? And, okay. And, and oftentimes what, what the vision is saying in that particular time, it may change later. For example, in the book of Daniel... God comes in apocalyptic form through an angel with the symbolism and visions of wild animals and everything to tell Daniel, to tell the people that He's going to judge Babylon. And the reason why God uses all these visions, so on and so forth, to let the people know He's going to judge Babylon 
Because, let's say, if he, you've got a prophet just stands up and just starts saying, God's going to judge Babylon. That might be against the law. And, and Babylon might go to war with you. But you stand up and you preach symbolism and vision and you tell the church you're preaching to and they, they understand what those symbols and so on, what the message is. They understand that. Well, that, that will keep Babylon because it's, it's a secret to them. They don't understand what it means. But the church does. When you get to the book of Revelation, it's apocalyptic too. And its teaching is the destruction of Rome. So God gave that message to John through angels, visions and symbols, so on and so forth. And, and he preached those, the book of Revelation that way. But they understood what God was saying. That God was going to destroy or defeat the Roman Empire. But if they came right out and say, you know, the Roman Empire is coming down, that could create some problems. And God's wise. God's wise. So He used, He uses top, top secret information that he reveals to the church that's obscured to the world. They don't have a clue. What I'm saying to you, apocalyptic writing is not transparent to everybody. Not everybody understands it because not everybody's supposed to understand it. And that's why I told Brother Tim last night, I said, God, as he was talking to me, I said, God has given you a unique ability to understand. Amen? Not that you have knowledge of the Scripture. Understanding is how to interpret the Scripture. And wisdom is how to apply the Scripture. And I said, God has given you a special gift to understand what is happening. That's why we're bringing Him. Say Amen. Alright, so that's the reason why it comes in vision form, in apocalyptic form, in veil form. Because it's supposed to be transparent to some, but understood by the church. Alright, so what is the ultimate purpose then? Well, the apocalyptic vision has to do with unfulfilled hope. And that hope is that God made a promise that the Messiah would rule and reign on this earth and set up His kingdom. He would set up a brand new world, a brand new kingdom, and He would be the king. But now Judah has been taken captive. And it doesn't look like that's ever going to happen again. So God says, I'm going to show you. There's going to be kings and kingdoms that are going to come. There's four stages to those four kings and kingdoms. And following those, then the Lord is going to come and set up His kingdom just like God promised. So apocalyptic writing then is God sending secret information from heaven that's known in heaven down uh, through an angel to the man in visions and symbols and it has to do with unfulfilled hope which is the coming of the king and God is showing what's going to come what kingdoms are going to come before that kingdom is set up say praise the Lord <clears throat> are y'all understanding apocalyptic is this is that God history prophetic history history is moving very fast alright and that history is moving ultimately to an end time goal. What is the end time goal of all prophecy? It is the coming of Jesus back to this earth to set up His kingdom. And so all of history is moving 
to that intended end time event of the coming of the Lord back to this earth and set up His kingdom. And so in apocalyptic writing then, you have the moving of history. Prophetic history is given of the nations that will come and how God's going to move along the line of prophetic history and ultimately bring about His ultimate end time goal and that's to set up His kingdom upon this earth. And it's, a, it's showing God. Apocalyptic writing shows God breaking into time, breaking into history in prophetic movements of time, breaking into history in order to fulfill His purpose to set up His kingdom. Anything that you see happening in the world today has to do with God's ultimate goal, and that is to set up His kingdom on this earth. Hallelujah. And fulfill an unfulfilled hope that He gave to the nation of Israel. And so that's when Tim comes. He'll explain more to you about what he's what he understands about all of these hurricanes and stuff like that is literally literally god is breaking into time right now right now he is breaking into time he's breaking into history he's if you will interrupting history and he's moving history in a progressive movement to fulfill the setting up of his kingdom you are living in one of the most exciting times in history if you if you're walking close to god if you're faithful to God, if you're not faithful to God, this is going to scare the hell out of you. I'm sorry, that's, but I mean that. <laughs> that wasn't a slip of the tongue. If you're not right with God, man, you're going to sit there with your eyes open. Man, I'm scared. <sighs> yeah, well, you should be. But if you're right with God, it's an exciting time. Hallelujah. Because you know that this is not just prophecy. This is apocalyptic prophecy. This is God breaking into time on the behalf of His people. This is God moving history to its expected end and goal. And that is that His kingdom would be set up and that He'll bring a brand new world. Hallelujah. And yes, yes, God says that as you go through history and you have these different powers like Assyria or Babylon and other powers that will come that are enemies uh, uh, to the kingdom of God, enemies to the people of God, enemies of God, attacking the people of God, clobbering them, if you will, on the right hand and on the left hand and on the center, just getting clobbered. And God says, remember, it's only temporary. It's only temporary. Remember, I'm going to come back and I'm going to fulfill that hope and I'm going to set up my kingdom and I'm going to set up my world and I'm going to rule and my people are going to be saved. So even though it's going to be difficult and you're going to go through trying times, God is saying in apocalyptic writing, the hope will be fulfilled. So no matter what you're going through right now, it might be trying times and you might be clobbered on every side, but because God is involved in apocalyptic prophecy, that means He's in control of everything that is happening and He's going to bring it to an expected end. He says, remain faithful to me and my kingdom. No matter what you go through, remain faithful to me and my kingdom. And so that's what apocalyptic writing is to do. It is to declare the unfulfilled hope is going to be fulfilled in the future. And God is showing, yes, powers are going to come and they're going to clobber you. But just know this, 
it's only temporary. Everything's going to be all right in the end. Just stay faithful to God through all the turmoil, through all the tribulation, through all the persecution, through all the trial. You might be clobbered, 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 clobbered. You might be beat up and whipped, hallelujah, but stay faithful to God because God is going to set up his kingdom and he's going to bring in a brand new world and those that are faithful. The Bible says in Daniel chapter 7 that he is going to give the kingdom to his saints. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. And so God uses this apocalyptic writing to encourage the people of God to let them know that there's transcendent information. That there's secret information that's coming from heaven that not everybody understands and it's not transparent. It's obscure to some because it's supposed to be transparent. But understand if God can send transcendent information secrets from heaven to you, that means you're a part of the kingdom that's not a part of this world. And you are to be encouraged by understanding that God is giving you information that's transcendent far above time and history. And so that's what apocalyptic writing is all about. First of all, it's to call everybody to repentance. When you study the prophets of God, when they bring prophetic preaching, eschatological preaching, it is for the purpose of calling everybody to repent. It is God saying, get ready right now because the judgment's coming. And if you want to stop the judgment from coming on you, then repent right now so you will be spared the judgment that's coming on the world. Hallelujah to the Lamb. And then again, of obviously number two is to encourage the saints from apostatizing in the last days. God is saying when all of these things begin to come to pass and these nations are coming, these foes are coming and it's in a time of trial and tribulation and the times are hard and it's getting more and more harder as we go. Uh, God is saying that it's just it's just temporary and that He's got everything under control. Hallelujah. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Let's go over here and look in Daniel chapter 7. And you'll see what I'm talking about just real quickly. <clears throat> so as I said that God, Daniel chapter 2 shows you four stages, four kings, four kingdoms. In Daniel chapter 7, we see four beasts, four kings, four kingdoms, four stages before the coming of the Lord to set up His kingdom, God's idea kingdom. And so we see it here, the unfulfilled hope that the apocalyptic writing is going to be focusing on, that the king is going to come and set up His kingdom. In Daniel chapter 7, verse 13, I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought Him near before Him. And there was given Him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve Him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And His kingdom, that which shall not be destroyed. That is the goal of apocalyptic prophecy. That God is on His throne. 
He's going to come back and He's going to set up His kingdom. Are y'all with me here? The book of Revelation, the same thing. Revelation chapter 4 shows you a vision of the throne room. That God is in control. And then He talks about all of these various beasts and, and players in the book of Revelation. But God is saying, don't backslide. Don't cool off in your walk with God. Don't apostatize. Be faithful to God. Are y'all with me here? Be faithful. That's why he writes to the churches. Revelation 1, he gives a vision of the Lord. Revelation 2 and 3, he's writing to the church of the end time. Revelation chapter 4, after he addresses the church. Then we see the throne. Are you with me here? Revelation chapter 5, we see the sealed scroll. Revelation chapter 6, we see the opening of the sealed scroll. Rider on a white horse, rider on a red horse, rider on a black horse, rider on a pale green horse, and so on and so forth. The souls under the altar. And then you have the trumpets and the bowls of wrath. And so what God is saying as you go through the book of Revelation is God is saying, yes, all of these things are coming. It's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be trying. It's going to be tribulation. But to my people, be encouraged. I am on the throne even in those hard times. I'm still on the throne even in those hard times. And I'm going to come back and I'm going to judge the systems of this world. And I'm going to set up my what? My kingdom. So apocalyptic writing deals with God working through history to bring about the end time result of the kingdom being set upon the earth. And he uses visions and symbolisms which are obscure and not transparent to everybody to sort of veil from those that don't, that shouldn't hear what he's trying to say to his people. And it is to encourage you. Hallelujah. Give God some praise. So I know, I know, and I, you know, this is sort of maybe, I don't know how to put it, it's, it's a general statement that we make. But you know, I don't have to tell you that times are getting harder. They're not getting easier, they're getting harder as far as for the church. But it's going to get harder. But God is saying this, is that He's still in control. He's still in charge. And to those who will remain faithful to God to the end, if you endure to the end, the same shall be saved. Hallelujah. So yeah, you might go through some temporary pain. Temporary suffering. And I told you even Sunday that it, for you to, to seek to be pure in doctrine and pure in life sometimes takes peace away from you. Because the world will attack you because of your spiritual condition. And that is why as we go through the book of Daniel... Daniel is saying to these people, to his people, you're in captivity right now. You're suffering right now at the hands of the Babylonian king. Okay? And the reason why you are is because of your spiritual condition. Because you, who you are in God, that's why you're being attacked. Because of who you are in God. So let's try to change their culture. Let's try to change their name. Let's try to change who they are. Let's try to let, let's squeeze them into our mold and make us one of us. And Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Ezra say, no, we're going to be faithful to the Word of God. And God blesses people like that. Or in Daniel chapter 3, whenever the Bible tells us, after he receives the vision or the dream in Daniel chapter 2 of that image. In Daniel chapter 3, the Bible says the king of Babylon forces, literally forces people to bow down to this huge image in the plain of Dura. 
And it, it literally has 666 stamped upon it. 666 is on that image. He puts this huge image up in the valley of Durham. And then he tells everybody to bow down and worship that image at the sounding of various instruments. And if you don't do it, you get thrown into a burning, fiery furnace. Sounds fun, doesn't it? Right? If you don't bow, you burn. And so what do the three Hebrew young men say? And it's interesting that Daniel's not, in, not around here at this time. It's the three. He's a, Daniel's away from the kingdom. Okay? So anyway. But these three young men, <clears throat> when they're told to bow, they say, no, we're not going to bow. We'd rather burn than bow. And so what, what do they say? Let's look at it. In Daniel chapter 3, and verse 17, Verse 17, if it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And He will deliver us out of thy hand, O King. But if not, be it known unto thee, O King, that we will not serve thy gods nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Do you see that? See, the pressure's on them to try to get them to bow. Those three young men refused to do it once again. Faithful to God. How many Jewish young men compromised and bowed to that image. But Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah said, we will not bow. We will be faithful to God. Even though we're not the majority. Even though we're just a minority group. We're few in number. But we're going to be faithful to God. It doesn't matter if the rest of our co comrades bow. We're not going to bow. Because we're going to be faithful to God. I'm calling, I'm speaking to the remnant tonight of young men and young women when you see your colleagues or your friends begin to bow to the culture of this hour be like Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah say I'm not going to bow they can take me and throw me in the fire but I'm not going to bow they can burn me but I'm not going to bow because I'm going to be faithful to God and they refuse to give in to the peer pressure can you imagine when Joseph ben Judah and that's a made up name Joseph, son of Judah, when he's called, when the trumpets sound and the, the sack button, so on, various instruments begin to sound to bow to that image. Joseph ben Judah, Joseph, the son of Judah, gets up and he goes down and he bows to that image. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah can't believe what they're seeing when they see the compromise in their own brethren in the end times. Hananiah and Azariah, Mishael, Hananiah, and Azariah said, we're not going to do it. We're not going with Joseph ben Judah. We're going to be on fire for God. We're going to serve God. We're going to be faithful to God. And knowing, knowing that they would have to pay the price, which means burn, they didn't put God in a box. They didn't say, God, I'll serve you and I'll be on fire for you spiritually if you get me out of this. And they said to the king, 
If it be so, our God whom we serve is able. He is able. Look at your neighbor and say, He is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And He will deliver us from your hand, O King. You throw us in the fire, we die, we go to be with the Lord. We will be delivered out of your hands. And we know that God can deliver us from this burning, fiery furnace. But listen to what they say. But if not, what an ironclad statement. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods. And you know what happened to them? They got thrown into the fire. God is not always going to deliver you from the fire. Sometimes God is going to let you be thrown right into the fire. He's going to let it happen to you. And you might wonder why God didn't you show up and, and, and save me from being thrown into the fire. But these young men made up their mind. God is able. But if he doesn't deliver me, be it known unto you, O king, we are not bowing to your image. And what did they get for their faithful service to God? They got being thrown into the fire for their faithful service to God. See, sometimes we look at the situations of our life and say, you know, where's God? Why isn't God coming? And why isn't God, you know, stopping these things from happening? And, and, and we get discouraged and we get frustrated. And where are you, God? But that's not the kind of God or the kind of relationship that these three young men had. They said, if God doesn't keep us out of that fire, we're still not bowing. We know He's able, but if He doesn't, we're still going to remain faithful. And they took them and threw them in the fire. But the Bible tells us, whew, man, I feel the Holy Ghost. The Bible says as they're in the fire, Nebuchadnezzar looks up, they heat the thing up seven times hotter. He looks up and he says, did, what we, did not we throw three men into the fire? He said, I see four. He said, and the one that I see looks like the son of, looks like a son of God. <laughs> Hallelujah. And the Bible says, even though God let him get thrown into the fire, God was with them in the fire. He brought them through. He might not always keep you out, but he will get you through. He will send his angel and he will get you through it. Hallelujah. But you and I have to learn to trust God and to serve God unconditionally. If he doesn't keep me out, I'm still not going to bow. But I know one thing. I'll be delivered from your hand. One way or the other, I'll be delivered from your hands. And in this case, God kept them through the fire by he came in an, it was an angel that came and was with him with them in the fire and they came walking out of that burning fiery furnace as you know and the only thing that was burned was the things that bound them that's god god honored their faithfulness what I, what I enjoy so much about this book of Daniel is this, is that God is using these stories 
And it comes in apocalyptic, prophetic words, which means he brings visions and symbols using various creatures and symbolism through angel intermediaries to bring these messages to the people, to tell them that he's in control, that he's on the throne, to bring his people to repentance and to encourage them in a time of great difficulty to remain faithful to God at all times. Amen. And in that apocalyptic writing, those visions and symbols, He gives the story or the narrative in those writings. It's such a beautiful thing. What is He doing? He's speaking to you in this hour. This, is, this has happened historically, but He's speaking to you about the last days when people will bow down to an image called the image of the beast that Revelation chapter 13 talks about. You are not to bow that you are not to apostatize. You are to be faithful to God all the way to the end. And you might get your head cut off, but that's alright too. Because God, it, that's one way God can deliver you out of the hand of this world government system. He might not stop your head from getting cut off. He might stop, not stop you getting thrown in the fire. But He's able to get you through it. That's what's important. Hallelujah. See, some people have this idea that God's going to come and secretly rapture the church before any of this stuff happens. We're going to disappear. We're going to escape. That's not the way I understand the Bible. The Bible says He's going to keep you through that hour. Say praise the Lord. So God is preparing you with apocalyptic vision to know that He's bursting into time. He's taking over. He's letting you know he's, everything's under control. Don't worry. Don't fret. Yes, it's going to be difficult. You're going to feel clobbered. You're going to feel beat up. But God's with you. God's faithful to you. God's going to help you. And, and the world system may take you and throw you in the fire. And God might let them do it. But God is greater than the fire. God is greater than any test. He's greater than any trial. He's greater than any pressure that you could face as long as you and I remain faithful to God. So be encouraged, says God to the angel, to the prophet in apocalyptic writing, to the people of God everywhere for all times. Be encouraged. Stay on fire for God. Be faithful to the Lord at all times. You and I know at times our great struggle is when we don't see God come and fix everything and keep us out of certain things that we're going through and and the enemy wants to use that as a tool, as a weapon against us to make us feel de defeated, abandoned, and discouraged. But God is saying, no. You might get clobbered by this world, but I'm still in charge. I'm still in control. And it's only going to be temporary. They can kill the body, but they can't kill your spirit. They can kill your body, but they can't kill your soul. Somebody give God praise in the house. So these apocalyptic writings are given to encourage the people of God to maintain their faithfulness to the Lord in difficult times. Please go to Romans 15 for a general application. Romans 15. Say praise the Lord, church. Thank God for His awesome Word. Okay, 15 and 4. Why were all these things written? The Bible says, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience, or that's endurance, and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. 
So when we read these things, God said, the reason why I wrote it is so that in difficult times when you're having to endure, that you might have hope. There might be hope unfulfilled right now. But God is saying, I'm going to fulfill the hope in the future. You may be going through difficult times right now, but it's only temporary. God is saying there's a glorious future for the people of God. And you may have to, you may have to go through the fire. You may have to experience a clobbering from all sides. But God's still faithful. And God's on the throne. Hallelujah. Give Him praise in the house. So as we begin the book of Daniel and we begin to look at, at various aspects of it, again, we're not going to go into great detail. We've done that before. We have that in, in, a, in a series that you can get. But I want to focus on some things that will encourage you, hallelujah, in difficult times when there's so much pressure, there's so much going on. And brothers and sisters, it's not just the pressures of the world. It's not the pressures of people. It's a pressure that's in the spirit world as well. There, there is a, a an intense pressure. <sighs> Kingdoms are clashing. Worlds are colliding. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness are in warfare. And the kingdom of darkness is seeking to hinder God's apocalyptic prophecy from coming to pass. But they're not going to win. God is on the throne and He's going to win every time. And those that are with Him are called, chosen, and faithful. Please stand. Hallelujah. Father, I thank You today. Father, as we have declared tonight Your Word, You have given us the message in the vision. You are working with history. You are setting things up for the ultimate purpose, the end to come. And that is that You will set up Your kingdom and bring a new world wherein we'll rule righteousness. And God, we thank You today that You have given us a message of hope that no matter what happens around us, and the enemy will try to use that to discourage, we will lift our eyes to the One that sits upon the throne. And we will let truth that transcends time govern our lives. We will lift our hearts And let our hearts remain hopeful, even for hope that is not yet fulfilled. And Lord, we give you all the glory and the honor and the praise. We ask you, God, to give us renewed strength to finish your call, to finish the work that you've called us to do in this earth. Give us the strength. Give us the health that we need. Give us spiritual clarity. Let us remain, Father, faithful to our spiritual values. Even though we know that those spiritual values will bring opposition 
let us remain faithful as your people have in times past to those spiritual values as we declare that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen. Would you lift your hands and give glory and honor to the one that's sitting upon the throne.